Isn't the world incredible? Look, friends, there's a lot of stuff that we need to do our best thinking about. And we don't always really have a good idea about how to do it. But this show is here to support you in learning how to do better thinking with our examples and our little bits of theory. And Patty and I do the work on the show without compensation from the radio station, but the radio station still needs electricity and still needs to run the computers and, um, you know, still has some expenses. And we've mapped that out to 20 bucks a day. And we sure could use some donations from you on forwardradio.org. If you go there, there's a donate button. And you can also get a hold of people at the station so that you can donate your time, your energy, uh, various skills that you have. Maybe you want to do some programming. We need a huge range of diverse voices on the station of all topics. If you think that your passion is too weak for forward radio, I'll tell you, I think if it really is passion and it comes through when you speak about it, we need a show about it on forward radio. And, you know, you never know. You open up a whole new world for yourself broadcasting your stuff out there like we're doing every week with Critical Thinking for Everyone. So I just want to put that plug out for Forward Radio. Please go donate uh, a little bit of cash. Be a day sponsor, 20 bucks. You know, um, if you reach out to us, we'll say that you were a day sponsor and we will advertise for you on our show if you'll just donate out there and I don't know if that breaks any FCC rules but hey it's just an offer we'll see if you take us up on it I hope you have a great day and enjoy the show welcome to critical thinking for everyone we are on location today what's our location this week Bowman Field Municipal Airport what kind of airport <laughs> is that where it is? Oh, don't ask me. Well, that. anyway, Bowman don't Field. Don't ask Bowman Field. Bowman Field. It's an airport. It's historic. Uh huh. Uh huh. It's historic. It has a really interesting history. Okay. Do you want to share something about that? Do you have some? I bit? have a nugget. You do? I okay. All right. Hit, hit us with a nugget. Okay. So back in World War II, when they were just starting the <clears throat> air. Uh, like where they would fly in um, medics to a war zone. Okay. And they would um, drop them off to treat people or they would evacuate patients through okay. with these helicopters. All the training nationally was done here at Bowman Field. Well, how about that? And so yeah. it's been operating ever since? It's been operating, wow, when did it start? No, it Even started operating in like the when, when air flight started. Okay. So yeah. much earlier in the 20th century. Yeah, what was it? We had that we had that in the Revolutionary War, didn't we? Didn't I hear that recently? <laughs> that we had, we had to shut down airports as part of the strategy? I'm not wow, sure. Wow, you may have heard that. I may I have think heard you, that. I think you take memes to heart. Oh, I take uh, political speeches to heart too, <laughs> no matter what people say in them. But anyway, I digress. Well, we're here at Bowman Field, a historic airfield. Uh -huh. I don't know that it has anything to do with the show. Uh -huh. It is chosen because of its proximity for our homes. It was easy to get to, and there's easy a little there's a little area here for us to sit and do the recording uh, where we don't have wind and 
helicopter noise. Yeah, and all kinds of other stuff. And I guess no one's being disturbed because there aren't any offices around here. So we're going to keep our fingers crossed that this is a good spot. Yes. Okay. But what are we doing here today? Why did we get well, together today? Why did we get together? Well, we like to talk about critical thinking. And today is also the first day of return to classes for JCPS, Jefferson County Public Schools here in Louisville. Oh, my goodness. And so one of the things we're going to talk about is education and critical okay. thinking in education. Okay. So that's appropriate. And you have gone back to teaching. I have. And how's that going so far in the last week or two? It's going okay. I mean, fewer and fewer people show up face-to-face -face now that they know that uh, I'm fine with them being available online. Mm -hmm. so. And and how how does that change your like? I know it cha you have to do a lot of things differently as a teacher, but is there one or two really big things you have to keep in mind when you're you have some students face to face <sighs> and some <laughs> big <laughs> sigh? That was a big sigh. Yeah, there are a couple of things. There, are, I guess there are, there are. Um, one is that um, I have to get to class early, okay. which I'm not good at. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to make a point of it so that I can get all the technology going. Right. So that we don't, so we don't have to wait for that. So you can dive in when class starts. Uh -huh. yeah. um, another thing that I'm doing is I'm trying to be a little bit more organized with the way I present the information. Because just for a lot of people, the structure makes it harder for them to ask questions. And for me, it's very easy to ask questions in this format. But, I mean, everybody's different. And... Um, I do get some interactions, but I know that I know that people sometimes, you know, if you look away for a few minutes in class, you can, if you care enough, you can ask questions, you can try to pick it back up, you can, you can make that, you can get back together with the material. If you look away for a few minutes online, and then like even the camera moves or something, yeah. I mean, even like the stuff goes away it might be a little more of a barrier. So I'm trying to be a little more organized such that students can have like my notes and stuff like that, which I usually don't share. Um, wow. And wow. then I'm also just not at all, um, I'm not at all concerned about face-to-face -face attendance, which makes it a little bit weird because then people aren't giving me a lot of feedback like one of the things I like about class is I get like nonverbal, even nonverbal. Even nonverbal, yeah. I mean, verbal's better for sure, but even even nonverbal feedback is is great in class because then I can get um, all kinds of energy back from the students, right? And it's not just me pouring the energy out. And it's hard. I mean, it's it's hard when most of the people are online and then even when the ones who are in class maybe maybe they're not a hundred percent engaged you know because they because there's only two of them and everyone else is well there's all, yeah there, there's that and there's also that a lot of times they're watching it online in class wow they're in class and watching it online. yeah yeah so i can just ask people they've been to too many basketball i can just games. ask people really <laughs> i can ask people in class to tell me if they can see what's going on online. Like, can you guys read this? And they're like, yep. Oh, that is hilarious. And they're hilarious. right in front of me. Yeah. That's hilarious. So wow. these, these things are very different. Wow. Okay. Wow. You're adjusting. A lot of teachers are adjusting to this new, and students. It's tough to lose the connection. I In, 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 in other places, um, yeah, I don't know. It's everywhere. Everywhere. The, the online connection is just, it's just not the same. 
Yeah. You know, I think it's it's it, it, it's okay, but it's it's not know, the same. Well, I'm hoping a year from now we're all back to face to face. That'd be cool, I guess. I, I don't know. Oh. I think a lot of people actually will develop preferences based upon this activity. You know, actually. Actually, I think you're right, and already we see people like in workplaces. You hear a lot of places going, you know what? A whole bunch of these people can just work online indefinitely. Yeah, not just and, students. That's right. Right. Yeah. So it's changing our world. So COVID continues to change our world. So, however, the principles and ideas we want to share today are perennial. Mm -hmm. They are. They will never go out of style. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, we hope so. I mean, the difference in the. Uh, didactic and the, the uh, and the critical and the critical yeah, yeah so uh, one of the folks what we're going to talk about today is a, a, a theory about education and learning that looks at critical thinking as a, in juxtaposition to didactic thinking right and we'll, we'll kind of explain what that means but so didactic versus critical so okay. critical is the is what we want didactic is what we want to avoid even though didactic teaching is goes way back like many of us right that's how we learn a lot of us learned in a didactic mode it definitely is yeah. um so and i think we want to talk a little bit about richard paul yeah, yeah, we did want to mention that. Why did you think about Richard Paul for the show today? I was thinking about Richard Paul because, one, it is August, and I know he he passed away five years ago, August, five years ago. And uh, for you and I and many, many, many people all over the world who knew Richard and um, his deep and important scholarship on critical thinking, um, and we, you and I were lucky enough to actually get to learn directly from Richard absolutely yeah. and uh, and um, continue to learn from his essays and his writing and the, the many the, the work that, that he's left behind so uh, some I always think about him maybe he's on my mind because it's August and and um, he's a pretty powerful person I thought maybe we could just spend a few minutes because the work we're going to talk about today is directly related that this the theory to Richard and his his approach to learning sure but i think we should just say a few words about who richard was yeah i mean richard uh you know for me i mean he was the intellectual driver of the foundation um, the foundation for critical thinking. foundation for critical thinking yeah and he he is the um the leader of a certain strand of critical thinking work that emphasizes character development and fair-mindedness um, as part of the critical thinking work that you do. So it's not just that you do episodic problem solving whenever there's a problem. Right. We're always interested in character development, for example, as part of um, the critical thinking uh, thinking and the critical thinking action that we're involved with whenever, well, really, whenever we're um, conscious, I suppose. I mean, Richard really <laughs> set a certain standard, which was, you know, he wouldn't speak unless he thought about what he wanted to say, which was powerful. And um, yeah, some silences. Yeah, you got be a lot of silence. There'd be way. a silence, and you'd be like, and, and, and you'd be like, finish what you said, and then he'd be silenced, and you'd be like, okay, 
you know, and you worry like, oh, do I, well, did I sound like an idiot? Is that why he's signed? Like, <laughs> I need to like fill in more info when, you know, yeah. he's modeling, thinking things through. Absolutely. Yeah. He was really good about that. <laughs> and, and he, he was very good. I, I, I certainly have received a lot of criticism in the academic vein, you know, as a, as a student. And I did my postdoctoral work with Richard Paul, as you know. Yes. So um, I really have spent a lot of time in that academic world being criticized. And so much of it is useful in very direct ways, but it's not the sort of stuff that you would hang on to this criticism and ponder it for the rest of your life or something, right? But I have to say that working with Richard, I really did value the criticisms that he brought, and all of them were deeply insightful in ways that most people just don't, they just don't have that skill just to see exactly what the challenge in your thinking is. Can you give one example of when he gave you feedback or critique that is a good example of what you're talking about? Well, sure. I mean, I'll, I'll give one. Uh, I was in a, I was working with him in a conference. One of the ways that, that I trained with him was I would go to his conference sessions and I, and I would assist him, which often just involved him working and me watching but he would do things like like ask me questions um, and have me answer and then he would comment on my answer like for the <laughs> in for front the of group. everyone yeah in yeah the for group. the group right yeah and um, right in the beginning I think it might have been the first time I he ever invited me now nah, not the first time but but definitely one of the early times he invited me to do this um, I Really, I'd already thought a little bit about this, right? Because I'd been through this before. So you were prepared. I was going to be sharp today. <laughs> I was going to make sure that I had the answers. Just bam, just I got it, and it's all just right. And I'm just, I'm going to be so focused, so laser focused, and so so prepared. I'll be so prepared that my answers will be so good <laughs> that I'll get those affirming comments today, right? And not those, we're going to spend five minutes showing how what Brian said was really, you know, we're not going to say that it sucked, but after five minutes, everybody's going to know that. So <laughs> His you know, commentary on your response. <laughs> and it was always really helpful. It wasn't that anything was mean or inappropriate it was just all of the ways that this didn't really hit the mark sometimes there were a lot so anyway this particular day i was like this is going to be yeah my day something to remember and so and it was naturally and so i i i'm, I'm just hitting it like he's asking me questions i'm like bam here's the answer you know and i'm doing the writing and i'm giving these you know highly polished answers you know from the writing when he's asking me and other people's stuff, you know, it's whatever it is, but you know, nothing's just like, like my stuff is, I mean, I'm just thinking about it, comparing, I'm like, yeah, you know, your stuff's okay, but my stuff's really good here. Like I, it's clear, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, it's clear that I've done this before, you know, kind of thing. Like I'm doing, like I've got this you're, kind of You're thing. the sorcerer's apprentice, so right, you're. It was my day and he's, he keeps going to me and, and 
up and all the way up till lunch we did this. Yeah. This was a long, like an all-day session. And it, and right around lunch, he asked me something else, and I did what I'd been doing. And he said to me, you answer too quickly. And I said, but I know the answer. And he said, well, maybe you know the answer. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he just kind of turned away, right? He just kind of turned away. And, and it was... This is in front Maybe of everybody. You know the answer. Maybe you know the Zing. answer. You know, and <laughs> and then you know, as we went on with the you know session, it was it was clear that you know, I mean, we it, we only went on for a few more minutes, and then it was lunch. But you know, he made some general comments about you know, not only do we have these standards, you know, this precision and relevance and depth, we also have um, you know irrelevance and imprecision and shallowness and illogicalness and um, triviality and often you know when we think we think too quickly we miss the complexity and I mean just just really using what I'd been doing all morning as some oh, no. as, as a as a you know evidence of perhaps perhaps thinking that was too quick Right. So that and these are the problems that can come from doing the thinking too quickly. Right. In these ways. And so, um, you know, nothing, nothing about it mean spirited, nothing about it wrong at all. Um, but everything that he said was exactly what I'd said, like he like he knew exactly what I'd said before and he, you know, or what I'd written before and, you know, could repeat it and, um, you know, had really had had developed while we were sort of working through the day had developed um, some very careful insights about the thinking that I'd been doing. Wow! And um, yeah, it really wow. slow, it really slowed me down for sure for the rest of the day. I was uh, <laughs> uh, when he asked me stuff, I really took my time answering uh, for the rest of that session. So, and I mean, wow. I'm I'm not always good at that because in sophistry. You can't take all day with this stuff, you know. That's a different skill, and I'm, frankly, I'm not as you're a recovering sophist, and I'm not as good of a sophist as I <laughs> as a lot of people. So, I mean, I'm, I never really, I never really spent a lot of time developing that, that quickness. Wow. So. Well, that's a great story about Richard Paul, and and what I really, when you said he 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 said to you, maybe that's the right answer. The thing about Richard is his tone was always so measured and so thoughtful and so calm and just really I don't know I think we should post a, maybe if we can find one of his YouTube videos we should post it so people can oh, sure. well, get a are, taste on, yeah. our, on our webpage yeah a lot of good YouTube videos for yeah. Richard for sure and, yeah. and you know every every time I mean in my view every time that Richard was being um instructive it was always useful i mean he was he was never um inappropriate i mean i never considered him to be mean or or careless or impatient but you know he was really good at pointing out exactly where your shortcomings were um i remember another time we um you know he was really good at walking you through the thinking like he was um his real skill, which most people didn't get to see, um, 
was uh, his Socratic reasoning. Like, like he could really take you through a topic, even if he didn't know very much about the topic, but he would come up with the questions. And I do remember, you know, I mean, gee, dozens of times, I'm sure, where, where that kind of thing happened, where he would, he would sort of, you know, question me through a topic of some kind. And I, you know, again, I always thought that was, that was really powerful work, so. Well, he... Something um, to emulate. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So we thought uh, that one way to help people kind of grab on to some of his thoughts would be to share the whole didactic versus critical. Yeah, this was key to his theory. Yeah. Um, yeah, ultimately, yeah. yeah. So let's first explain what didactic and a didactic approach to teaching and learning. And then, sure. then we're going to use Richard's words here to contrast that with critical thinking. So when okay. I think of didactic thinking, I think of Paulo Freire's work with the banking, what he called the banking method. Right? Okay, that, what's that? That knowledge is like coins you, you drop into a bank, like facts and ideas that you just place into the head students that that's a that's a an approach called the banking <clears throat> method which is which is really antithetical to critical thinking oh yeah i mean the didactic approach i mean i don't yeah the banking method let's just right. say it i mean it it violates sort of these ideas about critical thinking because richard's very clear that you can't give anybody ideas like they have to arrive at the ideas themselves you can only introduce people to these ideas and then they have to internalize them um, right and make meaning of them for their own context absolutely right. yeah the internalizing is a personal process it's not right. like it's not like receiving a coin right or right yeah. so so let me just explain this first difference as a way to kind of introduce us a little bit more into didactic versus critical. Sure, yeah. Let me, let me do that, or you want to say something? I else? just want to say one thing about, yes, about didactic, yes. and that is that um, didactic uh, involves, for Richard anyway, um, it involves copying. It involves um, representation. So what the student is supposed to do is copy the teacher, and the teacher presents the thing to be copied. Right, which right. means the idea or the formula, like yeah. the way of thinking. Like yeah. I'm just repeating back Absolutely. to what I heard. The, I'm not actually having to think about it or do anything with it. I'm just repeating back what I heard. Right. The goal is not that I would learn to think for myself as a student. The goal is that I would learn to copy the teacher's thinking. That's the best, really, that I can do in a didactic, didactic mode. Right. Yeah. So one way that Richard describes it here is he talks about it in terms of the, the fundamental need of students. Okay, so in a didactic approach, the fundamental need of students is to be taught more or less what to think, not how to think. Yeah, sure. Related to what you just said. Right. That is that students will learn how to think if they can only get in their heads what to think. Yeah, if you have if you have high quality information that people are working with, time honored information or whatever, this material hones minds. I remember I can't remember the particular texts or anything right now, but I remember growing up and having people say things like, Well, you know, Churchill read this, Kennedy read this, you know. 
whatever great figure read this. Right. And so you should read this. Like, it shaped their thought, and so it oh. ought to be good enough for you. Like this kind of stuff. And I just, I don't know. I mean, that very much seems like it's in the didactic mode. You know, the, if I just, if I just encounter these great ideas, like if, if I just read the great books and if I, you know, listen to these ideas in some regard, then they'll be there for me to access without me necessarily doing a lot more than absorbing, you know. It's like one step away from an infomercial. <laughs> and I guess Just you can go read this speech. I guess you can go farther with an infomercial if you want to, right? So that's maybe that's a good analogy. All and right. then, so the, what's critical thinking? Then the critical thinking takes the stance that the fundamental need of students is to be taught how, not what, to think. Right. That is important to focus on significant content, but this should be accomplished by raising. Live issues that stimulate students to gather, analyze, and assess the content. So let, let's think of an example here. Focus on significant content, but this should be accomplished by raising live issues that stimulate to gather, analyze, and assess the content. So it's not enough to, you know, uh, why should I go to class if I can just read your textbook from the bookstore and just absorb that content, right? Right, yeah. If right? we have a didactic mode, then that's that's, that's fine. Enough. Right, yeah. so when I work with faculty, sometimes what I ask them is, so by coming to class, what is the thinking that students engage in that they can't just get from reading the textbook? Like, what right. are you doing with them right. as thinkers right. to engage with that content, right? right? And right. for many of them... Faculty who have went through a school system with the didactic mode, who sort of absorbed and learned this stuff despite the didactic mode, right? It's it's a sh it's a paradigm shift from teaching content to teaching a way of thinking about the content, working with the content. Well, absolutely, and it it, it does make a bit more work, and it's a bit um, it's a bit messier for students because um, you. You can't use canned exercises very well. Like it, it doesn't. Didactic models have students spit back answers in the right forms, and the fact that they got the right answer is evidence that they know how to do the thinking. Which is right, not at all true. Exactly, and so the right. critical approach would have us actually investigating the thinking itself, not the conclusions of the thinking which is a much longer process and it's a lot harder to evaluate and it's all of that plus it's a lot harder to develop. I mean, I can definitely memorize a whole bunch of different stuff um, and learn those answers in that way and still not know how to get at the answers that I've memorized, right. like through some kind of a process. Right. So if we went right now walk down to the airfield sure. and had a pilot like giving you a lesson and showing you what each instrument does oh, yeah. on the instrument panel oh, and yeah. is like okay so I'm, I'm showing you each thing here and I'm telling you what it does now get in the plane and fly it right right no that that's right. not how it it's that not discrete be... bits of information that once you memorize it just all comes together and it makes meaning for you so mm -hmm. I'd like to see what you would do when they introduced all those instruments to you. 
Oh, you know, I'm sure that I would just uh, wreck the plane. I'm sure it would be an absolute uh, uh, disaster. So best to avoid it. So so this actually leads to uh, another one I wanted to mention, which is the didactic versus critical and the nature of learning. Okay. okay. So in a didactic yeah. theory, the nature of learning is that knowledge, truth, and understanding can be transmitted from one person to another by verbal statements in the form of lectures or didactic teaching. Yeah. The whole idea, well, I covered it. Yeah. I covered it in class. So you should know it. I said it out loud. Okay, so that means they know it? They, they can do something with it? It's really problematic because when we're trying to figure out as teachers how to convey the knowledge, it seems like in a great many cases just speaking and listening is sufficient. You know, I mean, it seems like there is a lot of this speaking and listening that occurs. And so why couldn't, why can't all learning occur like this? Right. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, the didactic model certainly, it certainly works, right? I mean, people say things out loud and then you copy them. That's the way so many of us learn to sing. Like we learn songs because we just hear it a bunch. Yeah. And we just copy it. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And then, and then of course, you find yourself somewhere down the line singing some lyrics and you go, what the hell was I just... <laughs> I don't think that, right? Because that's not what we've done. We haven't it's internalized just a tape it. In your yeah, head. we've just we've memorized <laughs> it didactically. We don't have any right. meaning associated with it. Really. Right. Yeah. So in the critical mode, the nature of learning tells us that knowledge and truth can rarely, can rarely, an insight never be transmitted from one person to another by the transmitter's verbal statements alone. That one cannot directly give another, this is the whole banking method, yeah, give yeah. another what one has learned. One can only facilitate the conditions under which people learn for themselves by figuring out or thinking things through. So facilitate. Yeah. Right. Like I think as parents, how many times we tell our kids something right. and it's just, they, it's just not, it's, it's maybe in their head as something we said, right. but it doesn't really have meaning until maybe there's some real life consequences for them or they have to act in those situations. Yeah, I think that's true. I think we have I think we have um, a sort of per parenting paradigm along with an educational paradigm that says that if they can say it back to us, they understand it. Right? So if they can say back the thing that we've said to them, that means that they know it. And the problem is that we're equivocating upon that idea of knowing. Like they know it in that they learned a bunch of sounds from me and they can give those back. And they might even be able to do it in a tone of voice that makes me think that they're really taking it seriously. However, they may not be doing that at all. They may not really be thinking about it, or they may have thought about it and even rejected these ideas. And they're just mimicking back what you want to hear. Didactic education allows for that, right? It allows me to learn things in whatever ways it takes for me to get the answers. It does not force me to go through the long process of actually understanding how you arrive at those answers. Yes, so... I just want to complicate this a little bit by saying, if I said to you, okay, Brian, I'm going to give you directions on how to get to my aunt's house from here. And okay. I verbally described right now, here's where you're going to drive. You're going to turn here, turn here. Sure. If I then turn to you and said, repeat back to me in your own words, what you understand I just said, 
there's actually a mental process that you have to go through to feed it back to me sure in your own words not just mimicking the exact words i said in the order i said but right. you have to par- you have to paraphrase or say in your own words back what you understand and that that you actually have to be able to think about it and process it and feed it back which is more which is another step of thinking deeper than just mimicking back right and the processing that you're doing intellectually just to be a little more precise about it is choosing different words that when you put all of them together will have a very similar meaning and not lose any important aspects of meaning or add them. Um, And all of that sort of correspondence with the original statement in different words takes a relatively complicated set of mental gymnastics, right? I mean, you have to actually know the language well and be able to process the meaning. Yeah, you have to be able to process the meaning because it's very clear when people try to do this shallowly, they come up with all kinds of nonsensical sentences and you'll read it back to them and you'll say, so this is what you wanted to say, right? And they, it's like, no, it's not exactly, this is how you'd normally write this? And they're like, eh. So so in teaching and learning, we have something called the Think Aloud Protocol. And that is when you as the teacher Instead of just what I used to do when I was teaching literature, I would just put the poem up and I'd be like, okay, we're going to analyze the poem. And I would start asking questions. Well, what do you see as the dominant theme here? What are the images here? What are the, right, uh, what's the tone, right? I would ask a bunch of questions as opposed to modeling, okay, let's put this poem up. Let me walk you through my thinking, how I would read this and analyze it. Analyze meaning taking something apart, mm-hmm. looking at the individual pieces and how they fit together. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, I think of all those years I taught without doing Think Aloud Protocol. Mm-hmm. I'll never forget one time a student said, was in the front row, and I said, hey, let's, I'm going to put this paragraph up and let's analyze it together. And I'll never forget, under her breath, she said, I hate analysis. <laughs> and and you know, she was saying it to herself, like, oh, I hate analysis. And I remember thinking, well, she hates analysis. It's like, well, now I realize now I wasn't really teaching the process. I was right. I was sort of doing it in this sort of right. smoke and mirrors right. in my head and then asking them questions, probing as if they can model that thing as opposed to walking them through my think here's okay, so when I look at this sentence, what do I see? Oh, mm-hmm. why? Oh, see this word, right? Okay, this jumps out at me because you see how these words are repeated. Okay, mm-hmm. what is that? Yeah. What could it mean? Here's so so think a lot protocol. I remember working at U of L with a faculty member in engineering who taught math. Okay. So for his think a lot protocol was walking through the math problem. Right? Not because students are in math often focused on what's the right answer. Absolutely. They want to skip. Yep. Did I get the right answer? Yep. As opposed to let me demonstrate my thinking process getting there. Yeah. So my cousin Ben Okay. Went to, um, he got a degree from Harvard. It was public policy slash government uh, degree. And I'll never forget, he came back from his final, or he came from at the summer, finished the semester, and he said, okay, here was the final. He had all day, they gave us the entire day, and they gave us a case study and said, you have this lumber company. And they, they like gave you all this information 
lots of relevant, irrelevant, just tons, and then it said, how much is the lumber company worth? And you had like two hours to write out your thinking. Because I said to him, that's so genius, because whether or not you got the right answer about what it's, how much it's worth, maybe that's debatable. Sure. They wanted to see your thinking. Mm -hmm. Could you write out how you would think through what that company's worth? Mm -hmm. Which I thought was genius. To me, I thought that was a genius critical thinking example. Oh, sure. No, that's a great way to do things. I mean, that's how we know that people actually know things is because of their ability to engage in process. So. Or we read their minds, mm -hmm. one or the other. And I'm not good at that one. I've tried it a number have of times. Have you tried? Yeah, of course. It's not yeah. good. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I don't have Richard Paul didn't teach you that. Richard Paul <laughs> did not believe that that was a thing that we could do. <laughs> right. So again, right, we can't know what our students are thinking because we can't read their minds. We can only have them share their thinking. Right. Us. And all we can do is analogize between our understanding of our own mind and our understanding of those minds. Good point. Bonds. Well, and then using, of course, the other examples of minds that we have, but all of those are only analogies, too. So, mm. Mm. Okay, can I... Oh, I got another one. Go for it. Didactic theory says about the status of questioning. Okay. Didactic says that students who have no questions typically are learning well. Yeah. While students with a lot of questions are experiencing <coughs> difficulty in learning. That uh, doubt and questioning weaken belief. Think about all uh, the times in our K through 12 education where if we we were so hesitant to raise our hand and say, wait a minute, I don't understand. Or, hey, I, I, what's a good example here? Because if we felt questioning meant we're weak thinkers, we don't get it. As absolutely. opposed to we're, think, we're asking questions because we're engaging intellectually in this material. No, I think that's right, and I think that there is um, a lot of stigma around asking questions that really needs to be eliminated, because it's the way that we get answers, right? Or it's the way that we lose our, we lose our, excuse me, it's the way that we move our process along. It's the way that we decide that we need to switch directions with our processes. Right. All of these things. So we we need to be comfortable asking those questions, and when we have fear about that. Um, we're just going to miss opportunities for greater understanding. I think it ought to be avoided. I'm really experiencing that right now. I was actually thinking about it today. Why? Well, because I'm teaching these online classes and I'm, you know, staring at students online, you know, whatever their their face or in some cases just a blank screen or something with their name attached to it. And I'm going through these these ideas, you know, and I mean, I've been through them a number of times, and I know often where students have sticking points, and so I'm, you know, I don't claim that I have it all figured out and I can explain it perfectly, but it is kind of disheartening no matter how well you think you did it. It's disheartening when every time you stop and say, hey, anybody got any questions? You got nothing. Now, the, the, <laughs> the younger me goes, well, hell yeah, you got no questions because I explained it all to you. Because I'm awesome. Because I dropped those coins in your head and now you are tracking. Right? Now you, You're now, full of gold. Oh, your yeah. Head is that's full right. Of gold. That's right. Now you have intellectual value of the type that I recognize. Yeah. Something like that. I mean, like that's why they don't have any questions because they know. 
Because when I was young, I would ask questions. You know, I mean, I if I didn't in know. A, in a pesky way? I would just ask questions if I didn't understand something. They were pesky sometimes, especially when I was earlier than college age for sure. Because I, a lot of times I wasn't paying attention. Like I had questions because I just really wasn't. You're like, huh? Wait a minute, what? Yeah, why is everybody, <laughs> hi, why does everybody have paper? <laughs> like just five minutes ago, no one had paper. And now suddenly it's like I woke from a dream. And everyone has and paper. And everyone has paper. <laughs> I wonder what we're doing. You know, it's like things like that people find pesky, if you want to call it that. Um, Annoying. Yeah. yeah. So this book we really need it, huh? You think we really need it? Like the whole book? Huh. You know it's an expensive book. You know that, right? Oh, my god! You think we could maybe... You were one of those. I was a lot of things, oh. I, I'm sure. But anyway, I had, I had some questions, and um, I was not afraid to ask them. But there were a lot of students that didn't ask, and my assumption was universally, unless I knew more, about that student, my assumption was they didn't have questions because they understood. Of course, right. We assume that. Everyone else in the class, right, whatever. Got it. They got it. And of course, a great many people didn't get it at all, and they just weren't asking questions because I was up here going, where did all the paper come from? You know, and so I, you know, there's no, there's no really good window for them to ask a serious question about anything because Barnes is in here again turning this thing into a circus, you know? Well, how do we know that? And people are like, God, why do we have to do this every class I have with this guy? But how do we really, do There's we really a lot of, know probably that? probably a lot of eye rolling going on. On all sides. Everyone's eyes got exercised when I was in the room. That is for sure. Um, oh, man. So anyway, yeah, I think, um, yeah. I think, yeah. So one of the techniques I started doing in workshops is hmm. saying, what questions do you have? As opposed to, do you have any? I ask that. And then I just yeah. wait. Yep. And then I just wait. I do. Yeah, so, I do. But sometimes I wait. Sometimes. Sometimes it's too long. It's too long. Because <laughs> after a while, you got, well, well, surely, especially if I've asked two or three times, you know, right. like, and then, I'm going to drink some coffee. You guys just think about what you might want to, you know. Do you ever just, I know my husband just starts calling often. Do you ever just start calling? I don't. Him? I used to do that. Um, I think that that's a way you can do it. Um, <laughs> certainly people do that. I think if you call on them, it, it's a good exercise. If you call on them and you're asking them about things you've just said or something like that, that's probably really good because it keeps people on their toes, right? People right. stay focused and stay in the thing. But right. there's also that business about, especially when you're doing, you know, you got most of the class online or something, you're asking, hey, Mr. Such and Such on the syllabus. What do you? Can you tell me what I just said? We're all sitting here. Such and such isn't even on the screen. Like such and such is, right. you know, got a blank yeah, screen. So it's, it's certainly not a, it's uh, certainly not all purpose, but I wanted to mention that's one way that he's actually seems to have worked for him. It's a great so, way to do it. Yeah. If and you want to do it. Yeah. Okay. But let me say what the critical thinking approach of, of status of questioning that students who have no questions typically are not learning, yeah. while having pointed and specific questions, on the other hand, is a significant sign of learning. Doubt in questioning by deepening understanding, strengthen belief by putting it on more solid ground. So yeah. here's the thing, though. Yeah. I've been doing this, as you know, for over a decade, working with this work 
And I know you have also a long time, long time using this material. Yep. Here's what I learned about asking people questions, though. And I'm right. not talking about in, like, a professional, although sometimes in a professional setting. Mm. So it's two things I notice happen when I start using questioning in a very, like, Ryan, okay, so what I heard you just say is this. Okay, tell me more about that. Or do you mean this? Like, like I use questioning, two things happen. One, sometimes people get very uncomfortable because they construe my questions as me as being um, that I doubt what they're saying or that I'm I'm not seeing the significance or the relevance or the um, you know solid logic and so I'm sort of questioning them as a way to uh, demonstrate that they don't know what they're talking about. Which that, is sometimes true that that those things, things are not there. And so right. that's why we have questions. Right. But sometimes I'm questioning because I'm really trying to get more information because while this person feels totally solid with their answer or recommendation, yeah. I'm asking because I'm not clear. I want more information. Yeah. So here's what I've learned to do is yeah. sometimes instead of just starting to ask questions, I'll say, so let me just clarify my thinking. Yeah. Or if I preface it that, all of a sudden I find that people's defensiveness about my questions yeah. is goes away. Okay. Now another the other thing that happens sometimes though is like if you said to me, Yeah, I'm really thinking I'm gonna teach uh, Camus the plague next next semester. And then I said to you, Okay, so you're thinking about teaching Camus the plague next semester. Right, like I'm just trying to verify what I've heard. Okay. What that person will hear is, oh, no, she's just questioning me and my decision. Oh, yeah. Right? Wait yeah. a minute. Wait a minute. And so then they give yeah. me this long explanation. So sometimes when <laughs> colleagues, I've had to say, no, all right, so let me, let me just make sure I'm hearing this right. So it's just really interesting when I try to use questioning, sometimes I feel like I'm getting – I'm getting, it's almost like a, a defensiveness from the other person, even yeah. though it's a, it comes from an innocent place of me as a thinker. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, there's, I've thought a lot about this because I certainly, as a, um, a, a trained sophist, you know, you use questions to destroy people. So yes. um, that's definitely the name of the game. And so people, when you ask them questions, there is for a lot of folks, immediate defensiveness because I think of two things. And I mean, I'm not disagreeing with what you said, but two things that I think of is, first of all, people have to do work now. Like they have to come up with an answer and maybe they didn't want to think about this or didn't, they, they, they didn't want to think at all or, which leads to the second thing, they have to expose something about themselves. Their answer is perceived oh. as exposed exposing something oh. that they would not have shared on their own. Um, and the more private people are, it seems like the less they want to answer any questions, right? Um, they don't want to give others knowledge about themselves. They don't... Or expose their thinking. They don't it want might, to expose their thinking. That's right. Or they might find that someone attacks their thinking and then they look foolish or then maybe they're forced to do the hard work of changing their thinking. Or maybe they find that, I mean, I've had some students tell me that they didn't want to do the work because what if they discovered that they 
actually believe something other than what they were raised to believe. And I remember the first time, I've heard this a couple of different times from students. I remember the first time I heard it, I thought, oh, wow, well, wouldn't that be great? Like, because for me, that was very positive. Right. Even though there were hard things about it. And I remember this student said, you know, I would, I would lose all of my social connections. Like I would be wow. una- like I would lose all of my friends. I would lose all of my family. I would lose my social standing. I would be completely cut off if I were to, for example, change my position about women's rights or abortion or race or any number of other things, right? And so I don't want to do that thinking because I don't want to spend time with the consequences, you know, of that what thinking. Do, what do you say? Oh, I was really shocked at the time. I, I said, I think I said something like, you know, it's better in the long run that in the long run that we confront our thinking. And I really, I understand what you're talking about, but I still think it's better to know. And then you can decide um, to what extent you want to act on it. You know, to what extent you want to um, mention it or begin removing yourself or, or act on your a new set of values or, yeah and i mean i said you know i don't think that action especially if it if your beliefs are conscious i don't think that action follows as a necessity i think that action is an option when i think of richard paul and some of the lasting lasting impact that he had on me as a thinker. I think of one of the things I saw him talk about and and saw and heard him talk about in person once was about his own grappling with his own past, Hmm. his own belief system that he had to sort of um, replace with a new mode of thinking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how it is hard stuff. And um, I think he did, he, one thing about Richard is he would always be very self-revealing. Mm-hmm. He didn't, you know, he wasn't like the guru on the mountain. Like I'm, I'm all knowing and I'm just, you're here to learn, but he was also always modeling his own intellectual humility, right? his own journey yep. Yep. in a really, um, humbling way. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I mean, Richard was, um, he was always quiet. He was always sort of out of the way. There were, <clears throat> from the time I was at the foundation, there were always efforts made to kind of separate Richard from um, the first round of people. Like other people could handle a lot of questions. You know, if people didn't want to talk to Richard per se, they could talk to anybody. Then other people wanted to step in and like kind of, like, um, like facilitate you well the... just to keep him from having to do um sort of that you know where's the restroom where's the coffee <laughs> how much is this book kind of interactions and it's not that he wouldn't do those things it was just that um his model is such a careful one that it seems like um it seems like there's an effort there was an effort in the foundation to make sure that it was it was really used for questions that it needed to be used on right high level high level yeah which in some cases made richard a little bit hard to get to 
for some of the people that may have wanted to talk to that's, him at conferences and stuff like that. That's a good point. You and I both had access to him in a way that a lot of people did not. Oh, yeah. You especially, since you worked so closely with him. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about didactic or critical? I mean, there's a lot more here. We just touched on some of the main things. Well, I will say a couple of things that I think are really useful that I carry with me when I'm thinking about this stuff. One of yeah. them is um, we've talked a lot on the show about the coaching analogy in education, right? And so in the coaching analogy, um, you are trying to get the other person to do the work, right? Such that they will authentically um, engage with the work on their own terms, right? So I decide one day that I'm going to grab the basketball and take it outside and uh, just practice shooting, or practice layups like or on something. Your own? Just on my own. Yeah. Just decide yeah. one day that I'm motivated to pick up the basketball. That is what um, the critical model would be in terms of the coaching analogy, that I am inspired by the coaching I've received and the mentoring I've received and the modeling I've received. <clears throat> I'm inspired to go try it on my own. Uh, just like we tend to do with athletics and the society really supports us going and trying things on our own. And with practicing regard practicing again and again and again. And just at your own schedule and are there all the time. You want to learn to swim? Come on in here and learn to swim. Like just nobody's going to check to see if you know how to swim. Don't be an idiot and get in the pool if you can't swim. But if you can swim a little bit, get in here and learn to swim better. And over time, everybody acknowledges that even if I'm not a good swimmer or a highly trained swimmer, if I just swim a lot, I'll improve in some degree as a swimmer. Critical thinking would have us do the same thing, right? To really, to really um, make this part of my thinking in a way that is on my terms and for my projects. And the didactic doesn't really do that. With the didactic, there's a lot of observation. There's a lot of appropriate interaction. There's, you know, doing work at the time you're supposed to do the work. There's lots of bits of information, disconnected bits of information. Yeah, but you're definitely, there's definitely not a call in the didactic model for me to spend my free time thinking things through as a way to learn the content. Like, that's a thing you could do. But that's not a normal part of the model. If you complete these exercises, if you do this reading, if you come to class, things will come together. But in terms of you going and taking your own time and thinking about it on your own such that you would internalize this, I mean, that's, mm. that's, that's, that's an optional model as opposed to a necessary one. That explains why so many hours I spent K through 12 in certain subjects that right today I spent hours studying physics and I and I can't really tell you much about what I actually learned. Hmm. Whereas from English class that I actually liked and engaged in easily, I have a lot. I've carried a lot forward. So. Oh, sure, because in either English class or in physics class, we could choose in our free time to engage in activities where we were testing those principles. Right. And you chose to spend your free time in one and not the other. Although yeah. if I had spent time in physics, mm -hmm. like, you know, that would have been interesting. That could have been interesting. I could, my life could have had a whole different. Well, path. sure. And I'm sure you still got something out of your um, limited time in physics, uh, but just not the same kind yeah. of thing. Stop 
Doppler effect. I can tell you about that. Gravity, I'm sure. Is gravity. A lever and a pulley, maybe. <laughs> yeah, now you're on it. All, well, the, all the physics teachers out there are just yay, delighted. Yay, yay. Yeah. Okay, Patty. well. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a nice exploration of the didactic versus the critical. If you do say so yourself. Well, I think the other thing is, you know, but just to finish up the coaching analogy, the didactic side of the coaching analogy is what you already mentioned before. It's the sage on the stage, right? Right. That, you know, I follow the coach's model and I try to do what the coach is doing by copying, not by um, listening to the coach's instruction and trying to internalize how to do this myself. Because ultimately, if I dribble like coach, that's fine. Right? But if I don't know how to change my dribbling when it matters, right. then somebody steals the ball, right? And I mean, this this metaphor can be stretched as far as we Right, want. and I'm not in the game looking at the coach the entire time waiting for, to, okay, what do I do this second? What do Almost I do that never. second? Almost never, yeah. Right? So. And that's why we need practice too, so we right. can get some of the coaching in there a little bit more, um, a little bit more full. Uh, and I think this show was inspired by a comment from a colleague. We had a, a, a comment that maybe we needed to do a little bit deeper fair, right? And I think that that's, I think that that's fair. I mean, the show is definitely intended to be for everyone, but especially when it comes to education thinking and maybe just thinking more deeply about some of our work. Um, you know, the tools can go that far, and I hope that this has been a, a nice exploration from what might be some normally irreverent and trivial examples. <laughs> so I hope that we, I hope that we made that a little more uh, highbrow. I guess and we'll find out. I guess we will, and of course, uh, we can always keep it at this level and go even deeper. Wow. Yeah. I don't know if anyone would tune in though. Well, at least one person. We have, we have to charge him to start our charge tuition. Oh my gosh, tuition! <laughs> Jeez. Well, that'll be that'll be uh, with the sign of the times. So as you're going through your week, we really hope that you're able to uh, enjoy a lot of great intellectual activities for no or very low cost. It's capitalism, folks, and it's out there to make money off of our interests. But uh, critical thinking is there to make sure that we can get through our day and hopefully. Uh, come out ahead no matter what the complexities and the various costs. So good luck with your thinking. Tons of people have done it in the past and they've found value in it. And we think that's because the stuff's for everyone. Even you.